0: So, chapter 16 is uh, God's instructions to Moses as to uh, relating to what's called the Day of Atonement, and it was an annual ceremony which the uh, Israelites were instructed to observe every year. Chapter 16, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to put on the sacred linen tunic with linen undergarments next to his body. He is to tie the linen sash around him and put on the linen turban. These are sacred garments, so he must bathe himself with water before he puts them on. From the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering, to make atonement for himself and his household. He is to take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering." He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger "'Sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. "'Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. "'He shall then slaughter the goat "'for the sin offering for the people "'and take its blood behind the curtain "'and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. "'He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover "'and in front of it. "'In this way he will make atonement "'for the most holy place.' because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites." When Aaron has finished making atonements for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of the man appointed for the task." the goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place and the man shall release it in the desert. Then Aaron is to go into the tent of meeting and take off the linen garments he put on before he entered the most holy place and he is to leave them there. He shall bathe himself with water in a holy place and put on his regular garments. Then he shall come out and sacrifice the burnt offering for himself And the burnt offering for the people to make atonement for himself and for the people. He shall also burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who releases the goat as a scapegoat must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward he may come into the camp. The bull and the goat for the sin offerings whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement must be taken outside the camp. Their hides, flesh, and offal are to be burned up. The man who burns them must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may come into the camp. This is to be a lasting ordinance for you. On the tenth day of the seventh month, you must deny yourselves and not do any work, whether native-born or any alien living among you. Because on this day... Atonement will be made for you, to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. The priest who is anointed and ordained to to succeed his father as high priest is to make atonement. He is to put on the sacred linen garments and make atonement For the most holy place for the tent of meeting and the altar and for the priests and all the people of the community this is to be a lasting ordinance for you atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the israelites and it was done as the lord commanded moses Let me pray for us before we look further at this passage together. Heavenly Father, uh, we do not want to seek to understand this passage uh, drawing on merely our intellectual abilities. Uh, We need discernments of our hearts. Uh, We need to have spiritual vision. We need to have the help of your Spirit to speak not just to our minds but also to our hearts. And therefore we pray that your Spirit would indeed do that gracious work amongst us this morning. Speak to us through this passage of Scripture in a living and active way which blesses and guides us in the present as we move forward under your hand. Amen. There is something in each of us that yearns to be satisfied with the beauty of God. Uh, King David uh, knew of this. He expresses it in Psalm 63. Uh, Look at verse 1. He says this, O God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my body longs for you, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. You see, there exists within all of us a ceaseless ache for God's infinite majesty and splendor. Uh, The 4th century bishop and theologian, uh, Gregory of Nyssa put it this way. We are led to God by desire. We are drawn upwards to him as if by a rope. And as we saw last week, uh, Moses articulated this desire in his heartfelt plea in Exodus 33 verse 18. He says, now God, show me your glory. Yet what we're seeing in this overview series, of course, is that sin frustrates the fulfilment of this desire. Uh, Sin threatens our very relationship with God and by necessity it forces distance between God and ourselves. If you recall we saw back in Genesis chapter 3 that sin has wrecked everything. Uh, God's blessing has turned to curse. Uh, Adam and Eve forfeit the beauty and satisfaction of being God's friends, speaking with him face to face. As we've been reminded in the kids' talks, God's people no longer live in God's special place under God's good rule. And yet, through God's promises to Abraham, God has pledged to reverse the curse. God holds out the prospect of God's people once again living in God's special place under God's good rule. And yet, at Mount Sinai, the difficulty of realizing this dream becomes startlingly apparent. God makes a further covenant with his people, and it informs them of their purpose and privileges, but also their responsibilities. God's people will only inherit God's promises if they obey God's law. Blessing and sinning are not compatible. And yet barely is the ink dry on the contract when the people commit a heinous breach of God's law. In the incident of the golden calf, they commit the grossest and most offensive act of idolatry. And we've been seeing that sin presents God with a dilemma, a huge dilemma, because part of God's character demands that justice be done. The people should receive the due penalty for their rebellion. We saw this in Exodus 32, verses 9 and 10. And the Lord says to Moses, I have seen these people, and they are a stiff necked people. Now leave me alone, so my anger may burn against them, and that I may destroy them. And yet, the gracious, loving side to God's nature longs to forgive them. And so there is this dilemma, this tension in God's heart for justice but also for forgiveness. And as we saw, rather than totally destroying them, God spares them. Rather than withdrawing his presence, God agrees to go with them. And this is where we pick up the account from last week. Back in Exodus chapter 25, God had started to relay to Moses the blueprint for his on-site residence amongst them. Exodus 25 verse 9. Have them, says God to Moses, make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell amongst them. Make the tabernacle and its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. After the rude interruption of the golden calf incident, normal service is resumed. God finishes relaying his instructions for the construction of the tabernacle. And you could read about that in Exodus chapters 35 to 40. And yet, the problem of the people's sin poses lots of curly questions which won't go away. How can God forgive sin justly? ...in a way that is true to his character. How can God dwell amongst a willfully sinful people... ...without destroying them? And what we see next is the shadowy outline... ...of answers to these questions. They begin to emerge throughout the remainder of Exodus... ...and into the book of Leviticus that follows. During this time, Israel remains at Mount Sinai... ...whilst God continues to instruct Moses... God gives his people further laws and institutions to promote and protect their relationship. But how can the problem of sin be dealt with in the people's relationship with God? And it soon becomes clear that two core essentials are required. And this is what we're going to look at today. Firstly, a mediator. And secondly, atonement. So let's look at the first of those. Firstly, the need for a mediator. Uh, Prior to the golden calf incident, uh, when God gave his law the first time, the people had the privilege of hearing God's voice direct and comprehending his glory. Uh, Reflecting back on that poignant moment sometime later, Moses provides this fascinating insight in Deuteronomy 5, verse 22 onwards. He says to the people, these are the commandments the Lord proclaimed in a loud voice to your whole assembly there on the mountain from out of the fire, the cloud and the deep darkness. And he added nothing more. Then he wrote them on two stone tablets and gave them to me. When you heard the voice out of the darkness while the mountain was ablaze with fire, All the leading men of your tribes and your elders came to me. And you said, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his majesty. And we have heard his voice from the fire. Today we have seen that a man can live even if God speaks with him. However, everything changes after the golden calf incident. Thereafter, all further communication between God and his people is through a mediator, Moses. Thereafter, and never again will they hear his voice direct. Sin puts distance between people and God. And if a relationship is to be maintained, a mediator is necessary. And in Leviticus chapters 8 to 10, This mediatorial role is institutionalized in the priesthood. The family of Aaron are given the responsibility for serving at the tabernacle as priests. They now represent the people to God and the God to the people. They are the mediators. So, the first core essential in addressing the problem of sin is a mediator. The second we see today is atonement. Uh, By the time we get to the book of Leviticus, uh, sacrifices are receiving a great deal of airtime. The first seven chapters of Leviticus outline five different types of sacrifices. However, the climax of this sacrificial discourse comes in chapter 16. In chapter 16, Moses receives instructions concerning what is called the Day of Atonement, what the Jews refer to as Yom Kippur. And the Day of Atonement is the clearest and most important example of what is involved in the sacrificial system and in what it accomplishes. Now, the word atonement occurs 20 times in Leviticus chapter 16. And the word atonement means a making at one. One. Describes a process of bringing those who are estranged into unity. In this case, a sinful people and a holy God. Uh, Leviticus 16 opens with reference to an incident which shows the real and urgent need for atonement. Chapter 16, verse 1 again. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of two sons of Aaron who died when they approached the Lord. Uh, This refers back to a calamity recounted in Leviticus chapter 10, verses 1 to 3. Uh, Whilst officiating at the tabernacle, two of Aaron's sons approached God in an unacceptable manner. It seems that they were a bit lax in following God's instructions, and they meet an unfortunate end. They are consumed by fire. And the lesson is clear. Leviticus 16, verse 2. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. Now at this point it would be helpful to understand both the location and the layout of the tabernacle. Have a picture to get us started. There we have uh, the tabernacle uh, in the midst of uh, the Israelite encampment. Uh, I don't know how they've managed to get a supply of power to their tents. It looks more like glamping to me. Uh, but nevertheless, that's an artist's rendition of uh, the camp and the layout of it. It's interesting that um, just as uh, in that time, the, um, in the ancient Near East, Uh, The kings always camped in the middle of their people, and so is the case for God and His people. Uh, The tabernacle is God's tent in the midst of His people. So on Mount Sinai, God's glory covered the mountain with fire and cloud, but now God's glory would inhabit the tent in the midst of the people with a pillar of cloud and fire above it. Uh, In one sense, it was a step towards regaining what was lost in the Garden of Eden. Now, God was near to his people. Uh, Now, God was dwelling amongst them. But in another sense, it was a far cry from the intimacy of the garden. Uh, The sinfulness of people meant that a safe distance had to be maintained. And this is seen in the layout of the tabernacle. There we have it. Uh, the tabernacle consisted of a courtyard uh, which contained a tent. Uh, anyone could come into the courtyard, but access to the tent was restricted. I've got to here a, a floor plan of it. Uh, the tent had an outer room uh, called the holy place. Uh, this was off-limits to everybody except the priest's. And yet, beyond this was an inner room called the Most Holy Place. And it was here that God's presence resided. And access to the Most Holy Place was highly restricted. Uh, The Most Holy Place could be entered into only once a year by one man, that is, the High Priest, and on the Day of Atonement alone. Uh, A thick curtain was across the entrance to the Most Holy Place. Uh, Poignantly, it had cherubim, that is, angelic beings, embroidered into it. Uh, Why? Because, of course, this represented those angelic beings which God put at the gateway to the Garden of Eden to prevent Adam and Eve returning to it after their banishment. Uh, This cherubim image acted like a warning sign, the sort of thing you see now on an electricity power station. Basically, the message was this. Stay away. Keep your distance. Uh, Danger of death if you enter. For sinful people to enter the presence of the Holy God without the appropriate divine permission and sacrifices spelt for them certain death. And that is what Aaron's sons found out to their great cost. When sinful people and a holy God meet, it does not end well. And so the Day of Atonement was God's provision to make possible this delicate coexistence. And the Day of Atonement served a vital role in maintaining their relationship with God. As we look more closely at what actually happened in the day, on the Day of Atonement... Uh, we start to see pointers as to how the problem of sin is dealt with. At the heart of the Day of Atonement was two forms of offering, uh, a sin offering and a scapegoat. And they point to the two means of resolving the sin problem, uh, cleansing through blood and removing through a scapegoat. And we're going to look at each of those in turn. So firstly, uh, cleansing sin through blood. Uh, Before the high priest could go anywhere near the most holy place, he had to undergo various uh, ceremonial washings, Uh, he had to put on special garments, but then he would present a bull as a sacrifice for the sins of himself and his family. Uh, It's referred to as a sin offering. Look at Leviticus 16, verse 6. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering, to make atonement for himself and his household. Having sacrificed the bull, he then takes two goats and then chooses by lot one of them to be a sin offering. The unlucky goat nominated as the sin offering then gets the chop. Verse 15. Uh, He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. Uh, Curiously, atonement is not just being made for the people but also for the place, verse 16. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place. We get a clue as to why this is by the language used to describe the people's sin. The people's sin is described as uncleanness, verse 16 again. In this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Like a sewer leaking into a drinking water reservoir, the people's sin is contaminating God's tent and its contents and hence there is the need for a deep clean how will this cleansing happen it happens by blood verse 18 then he shall come out to the altar that is before the lord and make atonements for it he shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on all the horns of the altar He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and to consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. So you see, a sin-offering sacrifice has a sin-cleansing effect. And the cleansing agent is blood. Blood signifies that a life has been lost. A penalty has been paid. God's righteous demand for justice is addressed. How can a holy God dwell in the midst of a sinful people? Well, the answer is blood must be shed. A sin offering sacrifice is required. Atonement is achieved through cleansing by blood. But remember, of course, there is a second goat. Uh, The more fortunate of the two, it would seem. Uh, It's referred to as the scapegoat. And the second goat points to a second aspect of atonement. If the first goat makes atonement by cleansing sin, the second goat makes atonement by removing sin. Verse 10. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. And what we see is there is actually a transference of the people's sin onto this goat. Uh, Verse 21. He that is the high priest is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat, and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. He shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert." So, the sin problem is addressed by cleansing through blood and by removal through a, gate, a scapegoat. And we're then told that the Day of Atonement was to be a ceremony that was repeated every year in perpetuity at verse 34. Uh, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites so as we draw the strands together in conclusion uh, the golden calf crisis highlighted in stark relief the key question how can a sinful God dwell amongst a sinful people sorry how can a holy God dwell amongst a sinful people (laughs) thank you Up to a point, uh, the Day of Atonement uh, provides an answer. Uh, God was able to dwell with his people without destroying them, uh, first in the tabernacle and later in the temple. But as we continue to trace the historical storyline of Israel, we will see that the Day of Atonement doesn't provide a lasting solution. Remember, the Mosaic covenants, the one that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai, is conditional. If the people are faithful to God's law, they will inherit God's promised blessings. But if they are faithless, they will cop the curses of the covenant. And of course, sadly, the people were consistently faithless. Within a few centuries, God's patience would finally run out. God would enact the curse sanctions of the covenants. The people would lose both the land and God's presence with them. When we look back on the Day of Atonement from a New Testament vantage point, one thing in particular becomes clear. The ceremony wasn't in itself the solution, but it pointed to the solution. You see, the real underlying problem is how can sin actually be forgiven? Uh, Forgiving Israel her sins was the one thing that God refused to do when they worshiped the golden calf, in spite of all of Moses' pleading. The Day of Atonement doesn't provide forgiveness, but it points to how sins will eventually be forgiven. And it will help us to understand the real sacrifice when God chooses to reveal it. The New Testament letter of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1 says this. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason it can never by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year make perfect those who draw near to worship. If it could, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, the Day of Atonement hints that there is a way back to the presence of God for which we yearn. And the Day of Atonement reminds us our sin is a putrid, slimy contamination which makes us unfit to enter the presence of the Holy God. the Day of Atonement reminds us that we desperately need to be cleansed and to have our sins removed from us. And the Day of Atonement shows that cleansing from sin is possible, but also costly. For it involves uh, the blood of a sin offering and the removal of sin on a scapegoat. And as the scapegoat was taken outside the camp, so Jesus will be taken outside the city wall. And he will be for us the ultimate scapegoat. He will remove our sins from us as far as the east is from the west and as the sin offering goat had its blood shed so Jesus will have his blood shed he will be for us the perfect sin offering and he will decisively cleanse us from the contaminating effects of our sin for all time let's thank God for Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you indeed for everything the Day of Atonement points to, Uh, your incredible salvation plan of the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world, the one who will cleanse us of our sin and remove uh, our sin from us as far as the East is from the West. Uh, Thank you for Jesus. Uh, We do pray that through what we see as we trace the trajectory of the Old Testament pointing to Christ, that our hearts would be warmed more towards him, that our faith would be deepened in him and our joy would be enhanced as we walk every day trusting in Christ, uh, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin. Amen. What more?